Good afternoon. Can you hear me in the back? Good. It is hard to think of a literary figure of greater importance, a figure with more gravitas than Sir V.S. Naipaul. And it is worth remembering that he is also very funny. As he showed when addressing the dinner for assembled guests and Nobel Prize winners, noting that his 2001 prize brought with it interviews, many interviews, too many interviews, so many interviews that I've lost the capacity for spontaneous thought, he said. I need the questions. Well, he got the questions today. In the living writing class that immediately preceded this reading, and that with the Politics, Philosophy, and Economics Institute is sponsoring this afternoon's reading. Servidio also brought a prop of sorts to that dinner, his watch with a strap broken on the journey to Sweden the troubling symbolism of which he worried through, concluding happily that time was to stop for me during those celebrations, but also that his watch tells me without threat that my time is running out. My two minutes are up. I have much work to do in my allotted two minutes. I must tell you to begin about the logistics of this event. We are, as you will see from the cameras around, live streaming it to sites across the country and indeed across the world. Servidia will allow time for questions, a few questions, after the reading. They may come for those living on, from those listening online as well as in the auditorium. Here in Hamilton, we will have a reception and book signing immediately following in the Ho Atrium that is the building next to this one on the left as you exit. Thanks are in order, most particularly to Lady Naipaul for her wonderful patience, her graciousness in attending today's events. To my teaching partner, Jennifer Bryce, who made the Naipaul visit happen. To President Hurst, whose love of Naipaul's work made him a participant in class today. And to Stan Brubaker, who heads the PPE, this year focusing its energies on issues of liberal democracy, where and whether its model holds. So many of you know the outline of V.S. Naipaul's story that in some ways I hardly need to give it to you, but there are those in our audience who don't. Many of you have read his works and works about him. He is a figure of grandeur and, of course, also a figure of controversy. With the new book, Masks of Africa, just out, it, there is already a whole new, fresh, uh, interest in, in V.S. Naipaul's work. V.S. Naipaul was born in Tr Trinidad in 1932 into a family originally from the north of India 
At 18, he left to study at University College Oxford and has lived mostly in England since the 19, for all that time, traveling in Asia and Africa and the Americas and writing about those places that were, to use his own words, the areas of darkness I felt about me as a child, writing fiction and nonfiction. And I quote him, both fiction and the travel book form have given me my way of looking, and you will understand why, for me, all literary forms are equally valuable. What was most important about a travel book were the people the writer traveled among. The people had to define themselves. A simple enough idea, but it required a new kind of book. It called for a new way of traveling. 30 books, fiction, including Miguel Street, A House from Mr. Biswas, A Bend in the River, The Enigma of Arrival, A Way in the World, Nonfiction, The Middle Passage, A, Turning, A Turn in the South, India, A Million Mutinies Now, Beyond Belief, Islamic Excursions Among the Converted Peoples, Between Father and Son, The Writer and the World. V.S. Naipaul holds honorary degrees from St. Andrew's College, the universities of Cambridge, London, and Oxford, and Columbia University. Literary prizes include the Booker, the T.S. Eliot Award in Creative Writing, and of course, the Nobel Prize in Literature. For, as the group gave it, for having united perceptive narratives and incorrigible scrutiny in works that compel us incorruptible scrutiny and works that compel us to see the presence of suppressed histories. In 1990, B.S. Naipaul was knighted by Queen Elizabeth. Please join me in the pleasure and honor of welcoming Sir V.S. Naipaul to Colgate. Servidia has suggested that he will read from the Gabon section of his new book, Masks of Africa. Is it okay? Uh, I'm reading something. Can you, is it okay? The voice is okay? Well, they can't hear? Is it better now? No, it isn't better. Let's, let's get it right before we go on. Put my mouth closer to it. Okay. Okay. Is this all right? Can you hear? 
No. The nearer they are, the less they're hearing. Try speaking into that. Can you hear now? Yes. yes. Oh. But how <laughs> difficult for me to be no, don't worry jammed about up it. to the telephone no, no, don't worry about or the microphone. <laughs> ignore it. Just ignore it. Okay. Ignore it. Okay. I will bring the thing here. Okay. Pretend it isn't there. Okay. But I'll, yes, I'll. Don't worry about okay. it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Is, are they clean enough? Okay, yes. Yeah, I think I better sit with them. I'm right behind you. Uh, as I told the president, when we were having our conversation earlier today, uh, I was concerned not to write about the economic situation in Africa or the political situation. Everyone knows about Don't them. Speak into it. And has an idea. Yeah. Is it yeah, all right? Yeah. You all have right? to speak into that. Okay, I can speak into it. Is it okay now? Yes. You can hear it? Okay. Okay. Well, we'll carry on. Uh, I wanted to write about belief in Africa, leaving out all these contentious issues of the economy and uh, the politics, which most people have an idea about anyway. And. Uh, it's done in stages, this development of the idea of uh, the belief. It begins with simple, the simple belief, people throwing the bones to tell the future. And then it goes on to dealing with witch doctors who would do what they can for you for a price. And then there is something profounder. And this is where I was engaged. Uh, I was engaged with this idea of energy, an African idea, and it, it goes right through Africa. My informant for Gabon was a, a charming man called Guy Rosatanga Rigno. You could tell from the name that he was half French and half Gabonese, half African. Guy Rosatanga Rigno, a lawyer and an academic, a former dean of the University of Gabon, said the new religions Islam and Christianity are just on the top. Inside us is the forest. In another country, it would have sounded too poetic and mystical, too imprecise, someone trying to cover up for a backward country. But Rosatanga wasn't like that. And in Gabon, his words had meaning. Gabon as big as Britain in area, with a population of less than two million, 
was an equatorial land of river and forest. It was hot, it steamed, it was malarial. From the air, as you came down to the airport, the shiny river estuary and, seemed, and sea seemed about to overwhelm everything else. The forest near the captain was secondary, with plantings of oil palm that spoke of awful labor and heat. A little way inland, the true forest began, primal and tall and tight. The tufted land, green with tints of the palest yellow, became hilly. The cloud shadows didn't fall flat here, as on the sea. They fell unevenly, and these jagged up and down shadows helped you to imagine the contours of the land below the forest canopy. The French were unwilling colonists. They staked out their territory in the 1840s. Just 30 years later, after their defeat in the Franco-Prussian War, they felt they didn't have the resources and they wanted to call the whole expensive business off. They actually sent a ship to take their people away. The missionaries, though, refused to leave and the colony survived. River traffic developed. The great French Italian. Let Can me... you hear? They can't hear. There is something wrong. I think this is not right. Well, if you speak out, then it will be. Well, right. if I shout, they can hear me. Margaret had a wonderful idea. And I'll be the second person here. You just take can this you out. Then? Yes, I, you can. don't have to hold it. I can hold it. Okay. okay. I'll hold it. Can you hear me now? Yes, much better. Oh, good. Oh, good. Do you want him to start again? I better start again. I think so. Yes, please do. I can help you. Don't you? Okay. This is about Gabon. It's about my informant there, a man who will talk to me about uh, energy, the energy that Africans feel and need. Guy Rosatanga Rigno, a lawyer and an academic, a former dean of the University of Gabon, said the new religions, Islam and Christianity, are just on the top. Inside us is the forest. In another country, it would have sounded too poetic and mystical, too imprecise, someone trying to cover up for a backward country. But Rosatanga wasn't like that. And in Gabon, his words had meaning. Gabon, as big as Britain in area, with a population of less than two million, was an equatorial land of river and forest. It was hot, it steamed, it was malarial. From the air, as you came down to the airport, the shiny river estuary and sea seemed about to overwhelm everything else. The forest near the capital was secondary, with plantings of oil palm that spoke of awful labor and heat. A little way inland, the true forest began, primal and tall and tight. The tufted land, 
green with tints of the palest yellow, became hilly. The cloud shadows didn't fall flat here, as on the sea. They fell unevenly, and these jagged up-and-down shadows helped you to imagine the contours of the land below the forest canopy. The French were unwilling colonists. They staked out their territory in the 1840s, just 30 years later, after their defeat in the Franco-Prussian War. They felt they didn't have the resources, and they wanted to call the whole expensive business off. They actually sent a ship to take their people away. The missionaries, though, refused to leave, and the colony survived. River traffic developed. The great French-Italian explorer Braza started the river Ogoué, shifting to a tributary and then continuing on land, was within four days of sighting the mighty Congo River. With the establishment of the colony, there began the logging, the cutting down of the primal forest. It has never stopped. Yet after more than a century, it doesn't really show. Perhaps it will soon. 30-year permits have been granted to the Chinese, the Malaysians, and the Japanese. They're more ruthless and better equipped than the people who went before. And at the end of their licenses, there'll almost certainly be patches of desert in what was once forest. An international expert says in a very short while, 30% of the forests of Gabon, the focus for centuries of Gabonese love and religious awe, will go. The good news from the same expert is that there may be some kind of international action, some form of subsidy perhaps, that will make it worthwhile for the Gabonese to leave their forests standing. In the meantime, even with the areas of loss. The forests of Gabon are still one of the great sites of the world. Rosatanga Rigno, an attractive man in his forties, was of mixed ancestry, as his double name suggested. His father was French, his mother African. He was educated in Gabon and in Paris, but like many people of mixed ancestry here, he appeared to be embracing the African side of his inheritance. He didn't speak a great deal about his father, that he had married an African. He, Rosatanga, had married an African woman from the Ivory Coast. When he first came to see me, he was at the end of his university day. He was a very busy man, and he was in his university clothes a gray, double-breasted suit. He was more relaxed the next time. He came with his two children and was informally dressed in a long West, Indian Af West African gown decorated at the neck. This kind of gown was not Gabonese wear, and I imagine he was wearing it in tribute to his Ivory Coast wife. I thought the gray suit became him better. When he was going to school, Gabon was rich enough from oil to be a welfare state. His parents, as he said, had to pay only for the school bag. Everything else was free. 
There was even pocket money for the children when they got to the secondary stage. Every Wednesday, the children lined up for a quinine tablet and milk to help the quinine down. Even the university education in Paris was free. And when Rosatanga married in Paris, the Gabon government paid for his wife's fare to Gabon, even though she was from the Ivory Coast. He was a lawyer by profession, and thought of himself as a political scientist. At the University of Gabon, he also thought, taught political anthropology. It was through these latter studies, no doubt, that he came to his poetic understanding of the place of the forest in the Gabonese mind. It wasn't always like that. His mother was a civil servant, and he was born in a hospital in the town. When he was three, he was taken to the forest. It was a great opportunity to learn the ways of the forest, but he was too young to see it like that. The forest was frightening. It is frightening even now, although in the family house they have a generator. In the night, in the forest, night falls very quickly. It is dark by seven. By eight you go to sleep and you wake up at five. The darkness is dense. To understand the vision of the people of Gabon, you have to understand the forest. Rosatanga said, when darkness comes to the forest, there is no sound. But at night, there are different sounds or noises that come from animals hunting. The night plus the noises make up our mentality because people are linked to everything in the forest. Thunder isn't just thunder, as it is for you. It is the voice of God. Try to understand that. In our village, the most terrifying creature is the owl. We are frightened of the owl because it is a manifestation of evil. If you're out walking and you see an owl, it's a very bad omen. And this country of ours is a specific place. Our village is in the mouth of the river. And even if we take a car, we will get nowhere because of the water and the condition of the roads. It's a primeval area. The forest will always break out, always win. There is a place called Dorango Lodge. You should see it. It is heaven and Eden. On the land, you will see elephants. From the same place, you will see whales and dolphins in the sea. When you see that place, is somebody knocking? No, no it's fine. Uh, when you see that place, you will understand why I say this land was not meant for humans. It is for the animals. It is very hard to survive in the forest. You cannot farm here. You might not have noticed it, but we have no cattle. Put these things together, and you'll understand why this country, which is half the size of France, has such a small population. Malaria, sleeping sickness, and the hot climate. The French, Rosatanga said, fine engineers though they were, never built roads here. There was too much rain, too much water. It washed everything away. The French concentrated on air travel. The first railway was built in 1981. 
by independent Gabon. It was very expensive. It was done against the advice of the World Bank. I asked Rosatanga, what is it like physically in the forest? He said with extraordinary passion, it is like a wall. At 50 feet, you cannot see. It is so dense and thick. Your vision is limited by the forest. And every one of us in the forest is small. I'll say it again. This land was not made for humans. You have to fight to survive. You don't know it will get you, even the river. It could be a croc, a water snake, or something living there. God knows what else is there. I asked, how does this affect your belief? He said, we feel that everything has life, even trees. There's a mystical tree, a red tree. When we go to the forest, we talk to it and tell it our problems. We also ask its permission to cut its branch or bark. And we tell the tree why we are taking its bark, why we are cutting it. You must tell the tree. All tribes have totems here, and that totem is taboo for them. They can never kill or harm their totem. They can never hunt it. It can be a crocodile, a parrot, a monkey, anything. Because the conditions of life are so hard, everyone in Gabon believes in the forest and in the principle of energy that the forest exemplifies. This is the principle that keeps people going. To lose energy is to fade away. To revive is to get new energy from some source. Rosatanga said, every living thing is energy. Every one of us is like a battery. In our vision, our version of the world, even the animals are batteries. That is why we believe there is no such thing as a natural death. If someone dies in the family, we know that someone has taken his energy. To do that, you have to kill the victim, be it man or animal. You kill and take their energy. We go to the witch doctor to take someone's energy. That is why it sometimes happens that people feel they have to do a, rit a ritual sacrifice. We are a matrilineal society. We take our mother's name, and our mother's elder brother is the big man in the family. He's so powerful that if a nephew dies, people in the family suspect the uncle. They think that he wanted his nephew's energy. Rosatanga's first experience of the supernatural, linked to the overwhelmingness of the forest, occurred when he was five. It was in his grandmother's village, a traditional village, as he says. He'd gone there for his circumcision rite. That was imperative, a rite of passage to manhood. Whatever formal, and that meant Christian, whatever formal religion the family professed, there were these old African ways that had to be honored and perhaps were more pressing than the formal outward faith. One day, during his visit to his grandmother's village, he went with his mother to a plantation, something much smaller than the English word, a family allotment, a vegetable patch. His mother was not familiar with the way, and when they were going back to the house, they became lost.
They came to a clearing, to the cemetery, but they didn't know. They saw something very strange there. Four monkeys sitting with red bands tied to their foreheads. Red is a powerful <coughs> color in Gabor. Only three colors are known, red, black, and white. Eventually, they, Rasatanga and his mother, found their way back to the house. His mother told the villagers what she had seen. The villagers said that what they had seen were not monkeys, but ghosts. Rasatanga said, I wanted to get away from the village. But the supernatural began now to force itself on him. A long time afterwards, he went with, to his mother's village with an American friend, the son of a foreign friend of his parents. This friend was prospecting for oil in Gabor. When they got to the village, a man told them not to throw litter or in any way pollute the stream that ran by the village. A spirit or jinn lived there and didn't like the stream to be polluted. The American said it was black magic and nonsense, and to prove his point, he spat in the stream. Rosatanga said, 10 minutes later, there was no water there, and there was a hue and cry. The village was up in arms. We had to do a lot through the traditional local man to placate the jinn or spirit. We spent a lot of money, and after many ceremonies or rituals, the water came back just as quickly as it had vanished. So in spite of his ancestry and his Paris education, his analytical mind, and in spite of his fierce rationality in other fields, Rosatanga had become a believer in the magic of the forest. And like other believers, had many stories to prove his point. He said, there's another jinn of this sort in Lamborghini. Lamborghini, famous, of course, as the site of the Schweitzer Hospital. This jinn lived in the river. You needed a ferry to cross that river. And the government decided to build a bridge. The old people in the area warned the engineers about the jinn and told them they should ask the jinn's permission first. The engineers who were Dutch just laughed and carried on. Every day, a worker died. People became very frightened, and even the engineers thought they should stop the work. They said they would bring a, an exorcist along with the local witch doctor to placate the jinn. They went and brought a traditional doctor, and he performed many rituals, and they were finally allowed to build the bridge. I believe these Forest spirits are linked to the psyche of our people, even if they live in the city. This is one reason why the American evangelical churches have been so successful here. They also invoke the Lord's Spirit to remove the devil. This is like what we do when we go to the witch doctor to remove the devil. The principle is the same. The common ground is the spirit. I asked him, if he could define the religion of the forest more closely. He said, in a precise academic way, we cannot call it a religion. It is a set of beliefs. We don't pray to God because in our understanding, 
God is not accessible to humans. It, he meant the idea of God, it has many other problem, problems and has no time for humans. In Forrest's belief, the organic world, the world that matters, was like a, a pyramid. The first level of the minerals and ore, the second level of the trees and the flora, and the third level of the animals, the fourth level of the human beings. If he had stopped there, it would have sounded like a version of the Elizabethan chain of being. But he went on, and it soon became clear that this concept he had was a local one. He said, in the human beings, you have divisions. Children are spiritually stronger than the middle-aged, who are useless and blind. The elderly, like the children, are spiritually strong because they're able to go to the new place. Children are strong because they've just come from the new place. They're pure and still have the sight. They can sense evil as they have an open mind. Sometimes they cry because they see too much. And then you have to take them to a strong traditional master. He places a stone on their forehead to stop the sight. But you have to be very careful because too much of the stone can turn the child into an idiot. As for the old people, they are special because they have power and they are close to the ancestors. Only the ancestors can intercede with God. You have to keep the bones and skull of your ancestor and feed it rum and talk to it when you're in trouble. This was what Rosatanga himself did. So in this matter at least, he was not talking with the distance of the anthropologist. He said, before leaving the village, I go and put alcohol and food on my mother's grave and my grandfather's grave. I liked him for saying that. I asked him if there were other ways of worshipping the ancestor. He said, every family has an elder who can talk to the ancestor. There is one man in every family chosen for the job. This elder keeps the bones and skull. The way to worship is through initiation. Initiation is a fundamental rite and practice. Everybody in Gabo talks about initiation, or so it seems. It requires a master, an all-night ceremony of dancing and drumming, and eating the bitter root of a hallucinogenic plant, the iboga. The rite is secret, and even at the end of my time in Gabo, I didn't feel I had begun to understand the idea or importance of initiation. I wanted to know whether in this ritual of honoring the ancestor, there's also contained the idea of virtue, the good life. Rasatanga said, no, the ancestors are there only to provide answers for your problems and give you what you want. And about initiation, he said, you have no say in the village or its matters until you are initiated. To be recognized as a man, you have to be circumcised in the village. 
that itself is a ritual. You take the child's foreskin and bury it in the ground. Then you plant a banana tree or sucker. This is the boy's banana, and you watch it grow. When it gives its first fruit, there is a big ceremony. Since the banana is a sexual symbol of the boy's manhood, the boy will eat the first banana, and the rest of the fruit is rubbed all over his body. No one must be nearby or see the ceremony. I asked him, are you saying that if you follow the various rituals, you need not be afraid of the forest? He said, you remain afraid. Initiation and ritual only give you a path through the forest. You are not protected against others, women especially. Women are very important in this society. They are the real power. A woman may not exercise power, but she gives it to her son. We are a matrilineal society, and women give life. This country was not made for men. Women's bodies are stronger, and so they are witches. There are many ritual sacrifices where the eyes are removed and tongues torn out of living victims. Every day there's a ritual sacrifice. White skin is a reprised hair, and for that reason, I cannot let my light-skinned children out in the evening. I asked, what is the importance of the tongue? He said, they remove the tongue to get energy. I asked, what do you think about that? He said, there is no name. It is too shocking. It was a relief to hear him say that. He spoke of energy in such a positive way. I thought he might have been more accepting. He said, power is everything. It is always sought out. There is a lot of rural migration. And so you have many forest people living in the cities. During elections, you have to be very careful because of ritual sacrifice. You have to go every day to pick up your, your children from school. I was 25 when I did my PhD, and they think because I'm a lawyer and successful and work late into the night, I'm a wizard and in a secret society. At night, normal people sleep. They will think that you're a wizard too. And so far as the president is concerned, he is the king of the king of the wizards. I asked him, when the forests get thinner, with the logging. Will these forest ideas fade or change? He said, maybe, but I'm not sure. People who've not gone to a village for 20 years still have the same mindset. It is still a forest mind. It is a challenge, and I'm not sure that we will win. You'll see people here in Libreville splashing about in the sea, but generally, Gabonese people will not go to the sea because it is not our domain. I asked, does this fatalism depress you? He said, it doesn't. I know a lot of educated people who go to the witch doctor and spend a lot of money. This society works for this belief. All our music, painting, sculpture, everything is linked with the forest. It's the end of the reading.
A few questions, not too many. One or two questions. Who starts? Well, you know, it, it, depends, it depends what your politics are. If you're living in England and you're a man of the left, and if you're writing for a conservative paper, you'll feel that nothing has to be done. Uh, if, on the other hand, you're like Rosatanga, who is French and African, you'll have the feeling that certain things are really too difficult and should not be encouraged. Rebecca? Based on what you've just read, I was curious to know if you personally believe in the magic of the forest. Um, based on what you've just read, uh, she asked, do you personally believe in the magic of the forest? Yes, the forest is very, very impressive. I can believe in their belief. I, I suppose that I'd like that to come out in, the, in what I wrote about it. Uh, the forest is mightily impressive. Uh, and one of the saddest things, not only for the Gabonese, but for me, as a visitor even, is to see the forest being cut down. I don't like it. And the things that Gabonese tell you about when you see the trucks carrying away the big trunks of trees, it's as though they're carrying away the souls of people. I feel that too. Something horrible about losing the forests. They're so old, and they're so beautiful, and they're so magnificent, and we can go and enjoy them, the sight of them, you know? One final question. Well, wonderful, then we will go on to Olin, uh, to, the to, to Ho, and to the atrium, where there will be food and drink and book signing. See you there. Was it all right, the reading, I mean?